Hey everybody, it's Mark and welcome back to Article Club where we read, annotate, and discuss one great article every month on race, education, or culture. This month we are reading and discussing When Things Go Missing by Katherine Schultz, which is one of my favorite pieces of the last many, many years. And also Katherine Schultz is one of my favorite, favorite writers. So it's been wonderful so far this month just to have everybody reading and discussing and annotating the piece. I look forward to our discussion on February 20th. Seventh, um, but for this week, I am very excited to share with you an interview that I had with Miss Schultz just a week or so um, ago. You have to understand, you know, like one of the best things about doing Article Club is obviously being able to read and discuss the pieces with you. But another is that just wonderful and generous writers, talented writers, Pulitzer Prize-winning writers, um, also speak with us. And it was such an honor to speak with Ms. Schultz in this interview. And so I wanted to bring it to you, uh, but before I do, I wanna share that the piece came out in 2017, but she actually built on the piece. It sort of evolved into a full-length memoir that just came out in January. And I've read it. It's called Lost and Found. I highly recommend it. It's just beautifully written, as everything is for Ms. Schultz. But um, we're going to be raffling off a copy, by the way, at the discussion. But I just want to just really encourage you, if you do like When Things Go Missing, I think that you'll really love Lost and Found. So there's that. Okay, I don't want to give away everything in the interview because obviously it's better if you listen, but I just have to say we talk about a lot of great things in this interview. We talk about the book a little bit. We talk about the piece and how Ms. Schultz organizes the piece. We talk about some of the choices that she made in writing the piece, which details made it and which did not make it and why. We talk about how she sort of brought her dad to life. And then we talk about the end of the piece after this entire arc of talking about variations of loss, how she ends the piece on something more hopeful about how what truly is astonishing in life is the idea of finding something or finding someone. So anyway, I hope you enjoy listening to this interview and thank you so much. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being on Article Club. It's a huge, huge honor. My pleasure to be here. Your piece, When Things Go Missing, also called Losing Streak, is amazing. But first, I wanted to ask you about how you're doing right now. You have a new book out, Lost and Found. I have it right here. Everybody should get it from any bookstore, preferably independent or on bookshop.org. It's so great. And it just came out. How are you feeling right now with the publication of this latest book? Mostly really excited. It was it was a real honor to write this particular book. It's it's about two of the people I love most on this planet. My father, who I lost in 2016, and my partner who I met just before that and married just after that. And you know, it's it's much more personal than most of my writing historically is. And it really did feel incredibly meaningful to to get to tell this loving story on the page and, and kind of look at my own life that closely, but also in the context of these kind of larger themes of of losing and finding. So it was delightful to write and it's really exciting to finally have it out in the world. You know, it's crazy time. I I thought for sure, like everyone, that the pandemic would actually finally be over when this book came out. And of course, here we still are. But, you know, part of this book is about contending with mixed feelings and and with a lot of feelings at once, you know, with love and grief together and all the other things life throws at us at once. So you know, on the one hand, I love bookstores. I was happy to hear you shout out indie bookstores. Uh, they're wonderful institutions. And part of me wishes I were traveling the country and, and supporting those stores and meeting readers. On the other hand, I have a 
brand new little five month old daughter who's delighted my life and uh, I, I get to be with her every day. And so, um, yeah, it's not the experience I, I thought I was going to have, but but I'm, I'm still really loving it. Yeah, I read the last part, which is the and part, which I found just really beautiful. And then also there was a guest essay that you wrote in the New York Times about this andness. And I'm, I think I'm one of the people who sort of wants to have a main feeling, you know, well, this is not this. And, and I just really appreciated also your, your guest essay about this nature of an andness. Can you talk a little bit more about that as well as like how you've sort of come to think about this andness? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, and just to reassure you, I, I think most people are in your boat. I think almost all of us kind of yearn to experience one thing at once. <laughs> uh, and, and I write about that longing in the book, but of course it's, it's deeply at odds with life, which is constantly throwing many things at us at once. Yeah, I mean, I started thinking about it um, because I did have the experience of meeting my partner and losing my father, um, not simultaneously, but in, in relatively quick succession. And so I thought a lot about, you know, what it is like to contend with love and grief at the same time. Uh, and then, of course, you know, when we got married, I, I, I write about our wedding in the book, and I loved it. It was unbelievably fun. Uh, and also, you know, it's so humbling to go through these life experiences that so many other people go through, you know, grieving or, or getting married or having a baby because you realize, oh, yeah, there's a reason people have these weddings. It was incredibly moving. It was truly one of the most special and memorable days of my life. But of course, my dad wasn't there, you know, and, and experiences like that are incredibly common. There's a there's a kind of blemish or an absence or a sourceful moments of ours. So I had been thinking about it a lot. And to be honest, it's it's kind of why I wrote the book. You know, I had, um, I'd, I'd written the essay that that you're being so kind about this, this essay called Losing Streak for the New Yorker that was specifically about the death of my father and, and then about kind of how we think about grief in the context of this larger category of loss, like everything we lose, you know, cell phones, elections, our faith, you name it. And a couple of people had asked me if I was interested in expanding that into a book. And at the time my feeling was, no, you know, I don't, I don't see myself just writing another 200. I mean, believe me, I could talk endlessly about my father and how amazing he was. And I certainly think grief is the, an enormous issue and there's plenty to be said about it. But I myself did not really want to spend, you know, two or three years of my life only thinking about that. And, and then at a certain point, it became apparent to me that there was this kind of mirror image story to tell, which was about discovery and, and finding things and specifically about the joy of of finding love. So again, it was kind of a personal story embedded in an exploration of a category. But but even that did not really make me want to write the book. What clinched it for me was um, andness. You know, when you think about this, this phrase lost and found, you know, I wanted to write about the lost and I wanted to write about the found, but I really, really wanted to write about this fundamental human experience, which is conjunction, you know, conjunction of experience, conjunction of emotion, and, and how do we live through this? Um, and what I could not have foreseen was that this book would come out during a pandemic, which has really forced all of us to confront kind of more acutely than ever the reality of, of that kind of endless combination of experiences. Uh, and, and that's what I write about in that New York Times piece. It's just the way that, you know, I think everyone has had mixed emotions <laughs> in this pandemic. You know, maybe you're really so incredibly happy that you don't have your three-hour round-trip commute to work anymore, but you're, you know, at the same time, you terribly miss your colleagues and you're going crazy at home because you have no childcare and you're trying to do your work while also raising your baby or whatever. So I, I just think a lot of us live with this experience and it was very interesting to me to get 
spend time kind of thinking through it seriously. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And this andness, I don't think that was necessarily in Losing Streak, the essay, although it was a little bit at the end when you sort of offer a little bit of what you found, which is very, very beautiful on a on a second or third read. But I felt like there's an andness also even in the piece. And if it's okay, I would love to get into the essay at this time. Yeah. Because the andness of the beginning of funny things that we lose like keys by the way i lost my keys this morning and i was like it because i never do oh, I'm no more, i cursed you <laughs> well i'm more like you or your mom you know the idea of generally being organized so yeah it must have been a thing but then it was just very interesting like as a reader like i knew that the essay was not going to stay there even though how funny, I thought it was funny at the beginning. You may not have felt that it was funny to lose your truck and your bike and your keys and your cell phone. I certainly did. But as a reader, obviously, I knew that there was going to be something, you know, coming down. But can you talk a little bit about how you wrote the beginning of the piece? Just because for me, it was laugh out loud funny. I've been to Portland. I know Portland. I know Powell's books a little bit. And the idea of this enormous truck and then losing it's just hilarious to me. Well, first of all, yes, I'm very glad you found it hilarious because it was intended to be comic. And second of all, you're a very astute reader. It's beautiful to think that that idea of andness was already tucked into that essay just formally by the way it turns from, from a comedic piece to obviously a very sad one. So thank you for that. I think that's really insightful. Yeah, you know, it's funny to think back to working on that piece because it was you know, that was back in, I guess it published in early 2017. And I've, I've written an entire book on partly on that theme in the interim. So it's interesting to kind of plumb my memory for what was going on. I think I always knew it was going to start in a comic register, a real struggle of that piece. I mean, look, the whole, the whole conceit of that essay is that there's this enormous and enormously strange category of loss. And how on earth are we supposed to make sense of all the different things that, that we throw into it? And, and do they actually have anything in common? Or is it a linguistic coincidence? You know, is, it, is, it, is there not, is there or is there not a deep relationship among all these things? And I ultimately believe that there is. That's why I wrote the book. But I, I certainly vividly remember at the time I lived um, up in the Hudson Valley and in this, in this house that had um, these kind of glass doors flanked by glass windows. And I vividly remember standing by those doors with my partner and we had dry erase markers. And I, I was trying to kind of outline the piece on the windows because, you know, why not? <laughs> there's, there's kind of nothing in my environment, you know, legal pad, back of a book, you know, lovely first edition windowsill that, that won't become part of a, a writing process if I'm within reach of it. But I was trying to outline this piece on those windows. And I remember writing this sentence on that window that is um, truly, I think, out of context, really almost almost sacrilege sounding. I, I, the sentence I wrote was, what does my father have in common with a sock? <laughs> right? <laughs> because, because this is what I was trying to get at. Like how, what am I doing here? You know, why am I thinking about trivial losses when I'm, when I'm full of grief over, over my dad, this incredibly wonderful person uh, who was, who was so central to my life. And, you know, I, it felt clear to me that I needed to bring the reader on the journey that I myself had gone on, which was the journey from the trivial losses to the, to the deep ones. And I think that the two things I probably like best about that essay, one of, one of those really is the kind of turn from comedic loss to, mm -hmm. to a very bleak loss. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad it worked for you. And I am, I am very moved by the notion that somehow I was already thinking about and even though I didn't know it yet. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that you also talked about the turn too. So I did pick up that something was going to be happening. I also have lost my father farther back. And so obviously it hit me extremely hard and in so many like tough, but also beautiful ways. But on rereading, there's time between the comedic to when you just basically say your dad, in addition to being brilliant and wonderful, is dead in that just very stark sentence. There's this time where you sort of ruminate and think, and then you offer, you talk about the internet, you talk about ways of finding, you're talking about the reasons why we lose. There's this idea of like really thinking about it in your mind. And then you inch toward, you introduce death, but not your dad. I am very interested, you know, as a non writer about some of the decisions or how you decided to craft that middle section, just because it offered me enough time as a reader to sort of take in what, where you were going. Yeah, it's a great question. I think the straightforward answer is that I knew that most of the intellectual groundwork of the piece had to be laid before I introduced the fact that my father was dead. And that was for two reasons. One of them was just kind of practical in the sense that once you introduce death, it takes over the story and, and, and you can't distract readers or yourself too much from that. Once it happens, you have to honor the, the, the kind of new emotion and the new register. But the other reason, which I guess is practical in a different valence, is that I wanted that groundwork laid so that my father's death, in addition to feeling sad, you know, vicariously, vicariously heartbreaking in the way that the death generally is, um, I wanted it to land very squarely inside this big category of loss. And, and the only way to do that was to stretch and stretch and stretch the boundaries of it for readers. You know, we do enter on this, this completely trivial vein of, of, you know, car keys and wallets and sweaters and, and, and yes, pickup trucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I knew that I had to have made the category big enough to fit death into it before the actual death took place. Yeah, because I'm reminded even you you sort of talk about the word to lose or loss at a loss. What does it mean? And you do it both before and then later on as well. It seems like you stretch out even your discussion about what does it mean to lose, not just the range of loss, but also the idea of like losing people versus losing things. And so it's very, it was very interesting as a reader how you did return to certain things over time as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. We're, we're cautioned so often against uh, repetition in writing, uh, which, which broadly speaking, I think is is good advice, and it's incredibly annoying to repeat things sort of carelessly or unnecessarily. But repeating and revisiting is a little bit different, and I think we do often need to. I think satisfying writing actually very often returns to an idea, and and it returns to it after after the kind of journey that just makes it look very different. You know, if you picture it as kind of walking around a thing, it's, you're always circling the same thing, but, but you are seeing it from really different angles. And I knew that this idea of loss, I didn't know, but it was, it was so resonant for me after my dad died. Like I really did just feel, I write about this a little bit in the book, but it, it felt apt in a way that a lot of language about loss doesn't for me. So I, I knew that I could make it makes sense to readers as a category. But it did mean that I, I had to kind of, it just spoke about laying the intellectual groundwork and it's true, but you just sort of have to do it twice. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you have to, you have to introduce it in the, the kind of casual vein of, well, like, why do we lose all this stuff? And what are the explanations we have 
for, you know, what a, what a psychologist make of this? What a scientist make of this? What does the insurance industry make of all of our lost items? Like on some level, you, you have to kind of begin to get into it at the really everyday or, or pragmatic level in order to be able to, to kind of deepen it when you return to it, even if it, even at the risk of kind of making, it's not that you're exactly talking about the same thing twice, but but making the same move, you know, a kind of a kind of pan out and return, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that that was that was also apparent earlier in the piece where you chose details that would move into the next paragraph, whether you know the idea of a key being lost later or the truck being lost later. It was sort of like a weaving of a key detail, which I found you know incredibly effective as well. In you know toward the end when we are fully into your your dad and his and his dying first of all you bring him so brilliantly to life very quickly i feel like you know he's in you know he's in the room he's going to just take over the room with his charisma i want to be his friend and then very quickly after that you you talk about his dying um, leading to the point that that grief is uh, has no boundaries and mm. On rereading it, it was very interesting how you sort of broke up the the parts of his dying into different parts. First, his losing speech because he just loved talking. And then the idea of his hymnness and his consciousness. And then finally, over time, his body. And as a reader, you know, like obviously having lost my father, um, I have to say that, you know, this happens to all of us, right? That's also part of your, your, your piece, but like to be able to read it with you in such an intimate way, it was, it was such a gift. And then your grief doesn't end there. It, mm. it, it continues going after his death. I don't know if this is the right question, but I do want to ask sort of in something that everybody has or will experience, how do you choose all of the different details or scenes and which mm. ones do you decide not you know, to put in the piece? Mm, that's interesting. Well, first of all, I wanna um, thank you for saying that my father felt vivid to you even in that, even in that little essay. I had more room to work with in the book, of course, but in, in both instances, it was very much on my mind that I, I just wanted so badly for readers to have a sense of him, you know, kind of, in a writerly sense, because I think it's important to a piece like that working, you know, you do have to kind of even, even glancingly get to know someone in order to feel the pain of the loss. Uh, but, but, but also I think just in a daughterly sense, you know, my dad was remarkable and it, I did feel that I wanted to at least try to do him justice. So I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that. It's really interesting about details and what you put in and, and what you leave out. I will say, interestingly, it doesn't get easier the more space you have. <laughs> You know, it's, it's easy for me to compare because I did, you know, I, I wrote a book that in part grew out of this article and, you know, in the article, I, I can't exactly recall, but I want to guess it's maybe 6,000 words, you know, maybe it's 8,000, but I think it's probably about 6,000 words. Uh, the book is, you know, 250 pages and somehow at every scale, you're confronted with the same question, you know, what actually belongs in here, what serves this story. Um, and it's quite, I do not want to say that it is easy to make those decisions, but it is profoundly dictated by your goals, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew in the piece that I, that I had, you know, right, right out of the gate, I had made a decision that this, this elegy to my father was 
in service of this exploration of the category of loss. And that's, you know, we could talk about why I made such a weird choice. <laughs> there are many other ways to eulogize one's father, but I made that choice. And, and having made it, it did really constrain what belonged in that piece. Meaning, you know, the chief thing we learn about my dad in that piece, my father was brilliant, but he was unbelievably absent-minded. I mean, truly just like the, the you realize, you know, it's just that, that caricature of the absent-minded professor I guess it exists for a reason. I mean, I really, I am related to two people who embody it to a, a hilarious degree. But obviously I could have chosen to tell you many, many different things about my father. Uh, he was like all of us, a, you know, full and, and rich and complicated human being with by that point, a long life. And I could have pulled from any part of it. And his life was fascinating. And there was, you know, a lot to say, but I knew that it had to be, whatever I, whatever I chose to say had to be about his life had to be in service of this exploration of the category of loss. And, and by the same token, whatever I had to say about grief had to be, you know, in line with the same, with the same notion. It had to belong in the piece, which is to say it had to be about grief as a kind of loss. And, and with that as an organizing principle, you know, a lot goes by the wayside. You know, th there's a lot about my dad that's wonderful and amazing, but didn't necessarily belong in a book like uh, in an essay like this, you know, and, and ditto the book, actually, I mean, funny slip of tongue, because, you know, even there, you obviously learn more about my father's life in, in the book than in the essay. And yet, the emphasis falls on places that that serve the exploration of the category of loss, you know, so my dad, his, my dad was a refugee to this country, and his uh, mother lost almost her entire family, 12 siblings, both parents in Auschwitz. And, you know, that to me, that part of my father's story felt squarely to me like it belonged in this book because obviously, you know, genocide is is out there kind of at the extreme end of of, of loss and the, the kind of grandest, most horrifying scale at which we can lose things. And and of course, being a refugee, you know, winding up in a new country and, and unable to return uh, to, to the places that shaped you when you were um, very young, that's a profound kind of loss and one that a lot of people live with, right? The loss of exile or or even just the loss of, you know, deracination of, of, of just being separated from your roots. So those to me felt like they belonged in the book, the same way that my father's absent-mindedness belonged in the essay. And, uh, and a lot of other things, you know, I believe me, I started writing all kinds of things about my dad that I ultimately was like, this, this doesn't belong in here. That's such a great point. Like the idea of what makes the shorter essay, well, it's not short, but the essay versus the book. And there is more space in the book and yet it, it's what belongs. And of course, like that makes sense, but writing, you know, is incredibly challenging. I hope for us all, not just for people like me and to decide like, oh no, this is what belongs. You know, it takes that, mm. that level of editing and that time. I've been an incredibly slow writer my entire life. And so it's just a whole lot of fun to, to, you know, just to do my best with it. it might comfort you to know that I'm also an unbelievably slow writer, although it's very interesting. I will say, um, I think literally the only thing I have gotten faster at in like heaven only knows how many years now of, of writing professionally is actually at recognizing what has to go. You know, it, it's, it's my only time saving <laughs> advantage over, you know, me of 10 years ago or whatever, but, but yeah, it's, it is a really interesting. And I, I think fun kind of fundamental part of writing is learning to recognize what goes in and what does not. Yeah. And I think that that leads me, I think to this question and toward the end and because what did not go was this idea of finding. I have to say 
that ending a piece must be the hard, one of the hardest things. But when I reread it, I don't remember the finding in my first or second read, but after mm-hmm. reading the book, it was just so beautiful that there's just the little line and also the detail of that first date, you know, with your partner. I just want to ask you to talk more about it. First of all, the writing is beautiful in the two to three to four paragraph. It's beautiful throughout, but and in the ending, but you made a choice that this did uh, make it, that the idea of finding something is astonishing. Losing things is breathtaking, but finding something is truly astonishing. And I thought that that was, that was really beautiful. Can you talk more about it? I can try. I mean, Mark, first of all, again, thank you. You're a very astute leader. Yes, this idea of, of finding and the, the kind of wonderment of finding something is tucked into the piece at the end. It's, it's low-level shocking even to me, you know, having gone on to write this book. What I can tell you is I definitely had no idea of writing this book, no plan to write this book, uh, no inkling of the book itself at the time that I wrote the essay. So it's not like I knew, oh, I'm going to later on, I'm going to write this long, this longer thing about losing and finding, let alone and and this. Um, and, and so I kind of tucked it in just as a nod to, to this larger project. No, not at all. Not at all. And that's to say that, you know, there is, I love to talk about writing. I find it incredibly fun and I love to talk about craft and There's a lot of brass tacks and a lot to be discussed usefully, but there is, I think, often also this little kernel of mystery (laughs) and, and, you know, you can talk around it and you can talk about it, but you can't quite get to the heart of it. And and the mystery is, you know, how do our minds work the way they work? You know, it's, it's ongoingly baffling and fascinating to me, which is to say, I'm I'm probably going to give a pretty bad and unsatisfying answer to this question. Why do I turn towards finding at the end? Well, look, I do, as a writer, as a thinker, as a person, and I, and I write about this a little bit in the book, I do, I think, almost always ultimately throw my lot in on the side of hope and on the side of joy. And in that sense, the arc of this piece was always naturally going to curve toward finding. You know, it's, it's, it's not a... Um, it's not some kind of dazzling intellectual move, right? I mean, <laughs> losing and finding are intimately related, not least because um, we, we do find many of the things that we lose, uh, although we also find things that, that, that had never been a part of our life before. Um, but it made, it made sense, of course, to nod to finding at the end. Um, and I, I do remember the kind of moment of like, ah, right, I mean, actually loss is the inevitable, right? Loss is the given, loss is entropy. It's literally kind of written into the laws of the universe as best as we can understand them. So the really shocking and amazing and incredible thing is that, is that we ever find anything. You know, loss loss is a necessary, but discovery is just just gravy, right? It's just a gift. And and that was a pleasing and a reassuring thought to me uh, and, and, and helped me make sense of where the end of this book had to go. Um, sorry, the end of this piece had to go. But you know, it is, it is, as I said, one of the great mysteries. I don't, it's, it's fascinating to me in retrospect that I, that I talked the whole idea of this book into two sentences at the end of this piece. Uh, so I, I share your, I share your mystery about what was going on there, but that that's probably the closest I can come to answering it. Yeah, it was, it was really, really great and beautiful. I just want to thank you so much, Catherine, for writing so beautifully in this piece, also the book about loss, but as you say here at the end about joy and hope and finding. So I just want to thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for, for being on article club. I'm really, really grateful. It's really a pleasure. I appreciate you being such a close and thoughtful reader uh, and, and for the really 
wise and interesting questions. It's honestly a joy to talk. One more time, I would like to thank Catherine Schultz so much for generously sharing your time with us at Article Club. I am deeply, deeply grateful. If you have thoughts about what you heard, or if you want to reach out, please go ahead and email me at mark at highlighter.cc. I'm looking forward also to seeing many of you at our discussion on February 27th at 2 p.m. If you have any questions about that, please let me know. All right, that's it for now, and I hope you have a great week.